BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the uh, congresswoman from Q, has come out and said that she does not believe in evolution. Right. Where do these people come from? Well, let's find out. Angelo Carazon is the uh, president of uh, Media Matters, the CEO of Media Matters for America. MediaMatters.org is the website. Go Angelo is his Twitter handle, along with MMFA, as in Media Matters for America on Twitter, MediaMatters.org, of course, on the Internet. Uh, Angela, welcome back to the program. You guys are tracking QAnon-supported candidates. Tell me about this. So, you know, in 2020, we tracked QAnon candidates at the congressional level, and we found that there were 97 that ran during the primaries. 24 made their way onto the ballot in November. Two won their seat. This year, because of obviously everything that happened with the attack on the Capitol and then Facebook banning QAnon, and obviously Trump's not being restored to office, there's this perception that maybe QAnon's gone or not as much of a concern. And so what we did is we started tracking them again. And what we found is that there are more QAnon candidates at this same point in the 2022 cycle compared to the 2020 cycle than there were in 2020. So there are 19 already that are running at the congressional level. And what's even scarier is when we started to look down, they're winning races at the local level as well school boards, county elections. I mean, they've actually been increasing their political power since 2020. You know, it's it, uh, on the one hand, you say it's fairly easy, in fact, I think, to think, uh, how can these people believe this weird stuff? You know, Democrats drinking the blood of children and yeah. satanic rituals. And, but on the other hand, how could Republicans have believed back in the 80s that if you radically cut taxes on rich people, it would somehow raise <laughs> the income of average working people? I mean, Weird fantasies, weird political beliefs are not something that is new to the Republican Party. They have been or no, back. Not, right? I mean, that's why they called it voodoo economics appropriately, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That was George Herbert thing. Walker Bush's. Yeah, <laughs> or right. or back in the fifties, the idea that the State Department and the Army were filled with communists who were preparing to overthrow the government of the United States, and it was so urgent that Joe McCarthy had to convene the Senate hearings, and you had the House Un-American Activities Committee. I mean, the Republican Party has spent my entire lifetime, <laughs> I was born in 1951, I mean, it, literally my entire lifetime, chasing ghosts, chasing fantasies, chasing things that aren't real, whether they're chasing them because they're afraid of them in the case of the communists, or whether they're chasing them because it's a new belief system, like, you know, trickle-down economics. As horrible and weird and surprising as this seems, in a way, if you put it in that context, it doesn't seem quite so surprising. What I'm looking for is, you know, what do we do about that? And the other question that your comment just a minute ago, Angelo, sparked in me is, you said two QAnon, openly QAnon candidates won in the 2020 cycle. Was that Green and Bobbard? So yep. Lauren Bobbard out of And that doesn't Colorado even count any of the QAnon-adjacent people. I mean, yeah. there are plenty of candidates that won that are QAnon-adjacent, and we sort of tried to keep it really narrow. So only people that consider themselves to be adherents. So they've espoused the tenets of it. They've helped recruit or advocated that people become participants in the effort. I mean, even when you look at it, that narrow slice, it's, it's kind of scary because it does show, there's a much larger circle sort of around that. And, that's, and I think that also helps explain in part why they, why, why even that they haven't gone away. And as you point out, it's part of a larger pattern. In fact, 
the Republicans right now are increasingly organizing power on what most people consider the fringes. Right now, that's this QAnon community. And that is a pretty scary thing, because I think what's different now from compared to some of the other wacky beliefs they've had is that, one, QAnon stuff is fundamentally linked into the idea of violence. The idea is that these aren't people anymore. They're demons or psychic vampires. Two, that you have to become the storm, especially after Trump didn't get restored to office. One of their new rallying ideas is that they have to sort of take matters into their own hands. They can't wait for the Trump savior. And that's sort of a, a shift because it helps show that they're willing to push the envelope a little bit further. And, and then I think, you know, it gets into what you do about it, because that obviously raises the stakes. But ultimately, one thing that I think Democrats, you know, as a whole, we always struggle with these things is that we let these ideas metastasize. We don't use our own voice enough. And ultimately, they start to pull people into the fold. We dismiss it as ridiculous without really appreciating just how fast and rapidly that it's growing. Yeah. Um, more local support, right? I mean, I think that's where Democrats are clearly losing when it comes to the Q stuff. With regard to more local support, what do you mean? Well, I mean, the QAnon people are running for these county board. Uh, oh, yeah, they're uh, building a grass. They're, they're building from the right? grassroots up, right. which is which is exactly right. if you want real political power in America, that's how you do it is you build from the grassroots up. You start with school boards and town councils and city councils and dog catcher. I mean, you, and that is what back in 2008, 2009, this huge campaign that was apparently funded by parts of the Koch network to get Tea Party folks, in quotes. I used to play clips in their videos where they talked about, you know, run for precinct committee chair in the Republican Party, take over the Republican Party. And sure enough, they did. And so this is just like the latest step in the crazy, you know, step by step by step. Now, the last time that Q has posted anything was in December of last year. And that was just before this major expose suggesting that Q was actually a, an American living in the Philippines as a pig farmer uh, running an internet site. And once he got outed, he went quiet and nobody's heard from him since. I'm reading stories that suggest that the whole QAnon movement now is starting to undergo changes. It's splintering. There's a violent faction that is kind of spun off or is merging with groups like the Boogaloo Boys and the 3%, the, the, the other groups, the right wing, the traditional, in quotes, right wing groups that are willing to embrace violence. And then there is another group in, within QAnon that has spun off that is trying to kind of clean up their act and stop talking about Democrats drinking blood, but still following lots and lots of crazy stuff. Any thoughts on that, on how Q is doing, or are you just looking at the politics of this? No, I think that's, I think that what you just said is really important to sort of understand foundationally what's both happening and, and why it's happening within the QAnon community and movement is like, in some ways, it's sort of like during that period of Christianity, there were this hyper schisms during the Protestant Reformation. Anytime they had mm -hmm. a disagreement about something, they'd form a new religion, right? right? And so there was this constant new sects of a religion that were popping up every time they had a small discrepancy or difference. And that's kind of what's happening in the QAnon movement right now. And the comparison there is not just apt in terms of what's the splintering side of it, but it also illustrates that so much of this is based on a belief structure that is doggedly held onto, similar to the way that a religion would be. And that's really what this has become to a lot of individuals. It doesn't really matter anymore that Q isn't posting. It mattered in the early days because that was what was the connective tissue pulling everybody together. Now it's sort of become more of a broad concept and brand for just thinking about this idea that Democrats and the media are demons in cahoots, running child sex trafficking rings, cracking down on anybody that's opposing them. And so that's the thing. They are splintering. And the, the part about it that I would just put a bow on is that a lot of it is an accidental. One of the things we saw immediately after January 6th were aggressive white nationalist movement and also militants going directly to disaffected Q people and saying, see, you waited too long for somebody else to come in. Here's the actual approach. You should have done it. They sort of saw it as an opportunity to collect new members. And so a lot of what you see, you know, other extremist groups have actually been poaching from the sort of the Q crowd because they're, you know, they're self-organizing, they're deeply active, they participate, and obviously they're motivated because they're hopped up on this sort of this pretty terrifying idea. Yeah. And they've got, you know, both what we're afraid of and also what we want. And the what we want part seems to me to be basically authoritarianism and oligarchy, that they don't trust democracy, they don't trust the rabble, mm -hmm. <laughs> to use John Adams' phrase, and you know they would much rather have a strongman leader. That's why they love Donald Trump. And so I think that you could call this a neo-fascist movement 
Yeah, that's a good problem. We've been describing it as a proto-fascist because yeah, in a lot of ways it's yeah, an it's essential ingredient. Yeah. yeah, probably better. You're doing God's work, Angelo. Angelo Curison, the uh, president and CEO of Media Matters for America, mediamatters.org. Go Angelo on Twitter or MMFA. Angelo, keep it up. Thanks for the report. It's always Thanks. great talking with you. Likewise. We've got such a ways to go if we're going to save this country from insanity or tyranny. That's a greater concern. I want to get into homelessness and taxes. And just to start with homelessness, as is usually the case, my daily rant, which I publish over at HarvardReport.com every morning, today is titled, Should America Outlaw Homelessness? Now you go, whoa, outlaw homelessness. I'm not talking about outlawing being homeless or homeless people, like criminalizing homelessness. We've already done that, and it doesn't work. What I'm talking about is direct the federal government to give housing to people. I mean, this is a really simple concept. Finland just announced that in the next six years, they are going to end homelessness altogether. They have the lowest homeless rate in the developed world right now because they've been pursuing this policy for two years. It came out of a psychologist. His name was Sam Sembris, or maybe it's Tembris. It's T-S-E-M-B-E-R-I-S. A Canadian psychologist who back in the 1980s started this movement called the Housing First Movement. And the simple idea was, how do you deal with homelessness? Now, homelessness was not much of a problem prior to the mid-1980s in the United States. In fact, in the 1970s, this is, this is fascinating, Henry Graeber wrote about this over at Slate. A 1976 history of low-income housing in America made the impossibly foreign observation that, quote, the housing industry trades on the knowledge that no Western country can politically afford to permit its citizens to sleep on the streets. Now, you know, and it goes on to say, the word homeless in those days, we're talking about 1976, four years before Reagan. Jimmy Carter, just elected president, the word homeless in those days was used mainly to describe persons displaced by war or natural disasters. Now, there were a few people sleeping rough, but it was nothing like what followed because in Reagan's first year in office, he not only cut taxes on rich people from 74% down to 25% and then raised them back up to around 35%, but oversaw homelessness exploding. How did that happen? Well, he cut funding for public housing and Section 8 housing subsidies in half. This is from the Great Society programs of Lyndon Johnson from the 1960s. He created these public housing and Section 8 subsidies, which largely eliminated homelessness in the United States for a while. And then Reagan slashed it in half in his first year and then continued to slash housing supports. It's a pretty breathtaking situation. And here we are. I mean, you know, it's, it's far worse than it ever was. Today, one-third of homeless people in New York City are actually families with children, and one-third of them have somebody working. But Finland said, okay, that's it. We're going to end homelessness. I, it's is really simple. It's like saying we're going to end poverty. We're going to give money to poor people. right? You want to end homelessness? You give housing to homeless people. Now, the Republican response to that is, oh, my God, you've got some of those people who are lazy and won't work. So what? You know, yeah, there'll be a few, uh, what would you call them, grifters or parasites are the phrases that Republicans use. I would call them people who are struggling, people who are unable to find meaningful work, people who are afflicted with mental illness. I mean, there's a whole variety of probable reasons for this, but it's still, it's such a small percentage of the population, typically two, three percent. When Finland looked at this situation, they concluded, and their first year experiment with this, or first two year experiment with this kind of indicates, that simply giving housing to homeless people costs the government of Finland 16,000 euros or about $18,000 per year per homeless person less than letting them sleep in the streets and then having to pick up the cost of policing and emergency services, medical services, cleaning up the mess, dealing with the courts. I mean, there are a lot of expenses associated with homelessness that society pays. 
in addition to a radically reduced quality of life for people who live near large quantities of homeless people. So this Housing First movement has been adopted now. It's been, it's been adopted actually in a, a number of places, but it's always been individual cities that have done it around the world. And now Finland is the first country to actually adopt it and say, okay, we're going to do it. The problem with implementing this here in the United States, and there's every reason to believe that our experience would be identical to Finland's, by the way, that giving housing to homeless people would actually cost us less than leaving them homeless. But the problem we have is that the Supreme Court in 76, 78, and 2010 with Citizens United basically said that morbidly rich people, no problem at all, morbidly rich people may control, may own politicians and political parties. And so now you've got the entire Republican Party owned and controlled by morbidly rich people. And those people are saying, no, don't want to pay any taxes. You want to house homeless people? That's going to cost money. I'm, I don't want to pay any more taxes on that. And then, of course, you got right-wingers who are just like, what, help people? No, we don't do that. You, you know, what do you do when someone's down? You kick them, otherwise they won't get up. Well, you know, maybe that's true of a kind of the normal person, but a person who's struggling with, with the homelessness, a person who's struggling with joblessness, a person who's struggling with mental illness or addiction. No, they need a house first or a flat, an apartment, a room. And then they need some of those services. Very straightforward stuff. Reagan, by the way, in the 1980s, gave this famous speech. This is 1984. This is three years after he cut housing support in half in the United States. He said, what we have found in this country, and we're maybe more aware of it now, is uh, one problem we've had, even in the best of times, is people sleeping on the grates, the homeless, you might say. But they are homeless by choice. This is a speech Reagan gave in 84. Right. He said, the problem has been aggravated by new laws requiring mental health institutions to release disturbed persons who have no place to go. Yeah, his loss. He goes on to say, as the political rhetoric heats up, there will be those trying to appeal to greed and envy. Make no mistake about that. What they're trying to do is to suggest that our tax program favors the rich. This is the same anti-business, anti-success attitude that brought this country to the brink of economic disaster, said Ronald Reagan in 1984. I'm reading from a piece in the Washington Post, published February 1st, 1984, titled Homeless Choose to Be, Reagan Says. Again, reading from the article, Reagan branded the charge that he favors the rich an absolute falsehood. Reagan said he rejected the proposition that supporting government programs for the poor is a form of charity. He said charity is what an individual chooses to do. Reagan did not mention the 8.2% unemployment rate in 1984. That's worse than it is right now. During St. Ronnie's reign, right? And he said, now we can turn to the equally difficult task of streamlining government, making it more efficient. Right, what was his top priority? He said, uh, the $180 billion budget deficit. He got the most applause of the day, however, when he told the convention that he would not raise taxes to reduce that deficit. Right. Well, raising taxes is exactly what we need to do. We've got a serious problem with morbidly rich people in this country, which I will give you some more details on. But bottom line with regard to homelessness, which is now a, at crisis levels in the United States, is there's a very simple solution to homelessness. Give people a place to live. And we have more empty housing in the United States than we have homeless people. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. 
Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So we start out by, okay, we've got this huge homelessness problem. The, the roots of this problem go back to Reaganism, and it's just gotten progressively worse for 40 years. If you were born post-1970 or 75, and you have no recollection of America before Reaganism really bit, really it'd be post-1980, because you know Reagan's policies throughout the first eight years of the, of the 1980s really didn't start showing up, didn't really start biting America badly for about another decade. And then it became like, whoa, so we, you know, we start at the top of the hill and Reagan took us down, you know, 10 feet, but now we're like 50 feet down the hill and holy cow, how far is this going to, well, here we are, we're, we're getting close to the bottom as a consequence of Reaganism, at least in terms of homelessness. And why is it that the federal government can't afford to house the homeless? Well, they would say because they don't have the tax revenue. So what do we do about that? Well, ProPublica just published this extraordinary study. In fact, this is just a, you know, a quote from the study. In 2007, Jeff Bezos, then a multi-billionaire, now the world's richest man, did not pay a penny in federal income taxes. He achieved the feat again in 2011. In 2018, Tesla founder Elon Musk, the second richest person in the world, also paid no federal income taxes. Michael Bloomberg managed to do the same in recent years. Billionaire investor Carl Icahn did it twice. George Soros paid no federal income tax three years in a row. And in fact, this is laid out. There's a great article about it that lays it out over at commondreams.org. The richest 25 billionaires in the United States paid a true federal tax rate of 3.4% between 2014 and 2018 at the same time that they brought in $400 billion. The personal federal tax bill for the top 25 was $1.9 billion. The bill for the wage earners in the United States, $143 billion. The median American household pays about 14% in taxes. That's the median American household, right? Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, the world's richest man, paid nothing in federal taxes, even as his wealth grew by $3.8 billion. How is that possible? Well, Bezos takes a salary from Amazon of $80,000 a year, and he had enough tax credits to offset that, so he paid no income tax. Well, if he only makes eighty grand a year, how did he get so rich? Well, he gets dividends from all the stock he owns, and he can sell stock in the company that he started whenever he wants. And wages are taxed at a fairly high rate, like, you know, people like you and me who actually earn a wage. Dividends and sale of stock are taxed at capital gains rates, which are really, really low. Between 2006 and 2018, the Amazon CEO reported a total of $6.5 billion in income and paid a 1.1% true tax rate on that. You want to solve homelessness? give people homes. You want to pay for giving people homes? Change the tax code. Bring back the top income tax brackets. Make it so that these guys just can't get away with this stuff. I mean, this, is, this is just incredible. So do you have other thoughts or solutions on how to solve the homeless problem in the United States or how to start collecting taxes on rich people? Boy, there is uh, so much weirdness going on. The right-wingers, last year, there were a bunch of people on the right who were committing violence and even murders 
in the hopes that these would be blamed on Antifa and Black Lives Matter. They just arrested this guy, Stephen Carrillo, on June 6th for killing a California sheriff's deputy. He was in correspondence with a whole bunch of these guys talking about how they had attacked a police station in Minneapolis and other things, saying, you know, basically, let's get this stuff blamed on these other groups. Even more disturbing, according to the San Jose Mercury News, most of these conspirators following their arrest for destroying evidence in the case have been released on bond by federal magistrates. Those Trump appointees sure are good, aren't they? But this particular guy, there's a, an offshoot here group. It's called the Grizzly Scouts. And, uh, you know, like uh, part of the Boogaloo Boys, trying to start a second civil war in the United States. Oh, and one other uh, just, you know, worthy of note. Yesterday we had Medea Benjamin on the program live from Lima, Peru, and she was talking about how the Ivanka Trump of Peru, Kiko Fujimori, daughter of the former right-wing president, herself a right-wing crazy, is slipping behind as they're counting the votes uh, behind Pedro Castillo, who is a, a farmer. You know, he's kind of the Jimmy Carter, I suppose, of Peru, the peanut farmer, you know, who became president. And so as soon as she started slipping behind, she started yelling, there's election fraud going on. Yeah, the... This has become a trend, have you noticed? Lewis in New York City. Hey, Lewis, what's on your mind today? I read the story about the ProPublica that you were referring to. Mm -hmm. It's amazing that how easy that these things are happening, yet the people in America who barely can afford to pay their own rent, they're voting poor corporations and poor rich folks, and we're the ones at the end of the day who's going to pay their bills. Right. Yeah. And the scam is, I think for a lot of people like me who are small business owners, is particularly galling, right? I mean, my company, which is, you know, which basically I have a little company that runs this radio show and the income from selling my books, you know, from books that I write, which is not, not all that consequential. But nonetheless, this little company cannot issue dividends, right? Because we're not a publicly traded company or we're not, you know, just some kind of giant company under SEC rules. So I can't issue dividends. So I have to pay myself with a paycheck, which can be taxed at up to 34%. If I was paying myself with dividends, I'd be paying five or 10% income tax instead of 30%, you know, top 30% income tax rate. Similarly, I can't issue stock in my company and then sell that stock to anybody and again, take that money and call it long-term capital gains and pay, you know, five or 10% income tax on it because I don't have a, a big business. I only have a small business, which is crazy. Now, and I'm not saying I want to have these things or I want to be able to exploit the tax code like this. I'm, I'm saying, why the hell do we do this just for rich people and big corporations? We shouldn't be doing it for anybody, frankly. I agree. And then I did see the trend what you were talking about, about the homelessness, because Reagan, while he also did, he sold a lot of housing that the federal government owned to these guys who would buy these things in large volumes so they could turn them into private enterprise. Yeah. And then you also had in New York, you also had Ed Koch, I believe, who sided with the landlords and still signing two-year leases they lowered to two-year leases, and so they could quickly uh, keystone their profit margin. Yeah, well, that was a long time ago. But basically, during the Reagan time, that's what happened. You had a lot of housing in the United States that was being subsidized by the federal government through Section 8 housing vouchers and things like that. Reagan cut that in half. The landlords went in, rehabbed that housing, turned it into condos and sold it, you know, or turned it into rental space and made more money. I mean, this is where Jared Kushner makes a lot of his money. So, yeah. Lewis, thank you for the call. Scott in Oakland, California. You want to talk about Carrillo is his name? He was in Oakland, California at the time of the George Floyd protests in Oakland, okay? Mm -hmm. They drove by the Ron Dellums Federal Building in Oakland on Clay Street. I live here, so I know I followed mm -hmm. it. I caught it the day that it happened, all right? They shot into the lobby, killing one federal officer, okay? What's his name? Underwood, all right? Yeah, Underwood, yeah. So Carrillo then, Carrillo escaped to Santa Cruz County where he was trapped for, I think, maybe a traffic violation or something. And a, a sheriff's deputy in, in uh, Santa Cruz County tried to pull him over and he shot and killed that guy. Okay. Yep. Then he got into a struggle with people in the neighborhood and they took him down and, and disarmed him and he was arrested. Turns out this guy Carrillo is an active duty Air Force sergeant in an elite 
security team that secures Air Force bases around the world. They're called the Falcons or something. This right. is like being part of the Green Berets or other Navy uh, Seals special or forces. Yeah. What I'm saying is, I'm not going crazy with this, but this is why the, the Republicans don't want to get into this, because they're talking now about prior weeks in advance planning for this stuff, have acts of violence against police officers that would be blamed on Black Lives Matter and Antifa, and then have a cause of Belli for Insurrection Act by Donald Trump. This That's is a correct. massive, massive conspiracy. I'm seeing with my own eyes. I can't imagine that anybody that didn't look at this with clear-eyed and understanding of history and how these things work, particularly what happened in the 70s and the 80s in Europe with Gladio, okay? I mean, you know, just study it. When the right wing is under attack, when the right wing starts losing control of the average person who starts seeing, why don't we have more taxes to pay for public services? They resort to violence, okay? Yeah. And it happened in Europe. It's called the Years of Steel in Italy, in Belgium, in France, with the uh, train station bombing. I think 83 people were killed. Blamed, well, they tried to blame it on the left. Bologna bombing was, I think, 80, 81, 79. Mm -hmm. Okay. The kidnapping of Aldo Moro, adjudication in Italian courts, early 90s, that they established that it was the right that did it. Okay. Whoa. It got blamed on the Red Brigade. This yeah, he was, was the former, uh, Aldo Moro was the former prime minister. I mean, that'd be exactly. like, you know, kidnapping a foreign and, and, president. Uh, uh, and he died in, a, in the guy's trunk, as I recall. They had people that were convicted of that were part of fascist groups that went back to World War II. Daniel Ganser has all of this stuff in one of his books about the period. There was all sorts of stuff going on. There was the mafia wars going on. There was the Vatican Bank stuff with all the, mm -hmm. all the weird murders that were happening that. around that. Yeah. And then there was this other thing, Gladio, that was going on that with all this violence that was getting blamed on the left. It was actually being committed by the right. Now, this is exactly what I'm seeing with this Carrillo. I agree. I'm not going crazy with it, but people and, are... And not just Carrillo, by minds. the way. I mean, you know, Umbrella Man in Minneapolis. Remember the, the guy who started exactly. the whole smashing windows thing? Yeah, it's called provocation. Blame the victim or whatever. And yeah, I'm completely with you, Scott. And thanks for filling in the details. A lot of that stuff was in the piece that I was quoting from. The article was from Daily Kos. Yeah, it's by David Newert. Uh, and it does have all the detail, much of the detail that you just shared with me. And it's, it's uh, worth checking out. Scott, thank you very much for the call. It's great to hear from you. I appreciate it. Pauline in Los Angeles. Hey, Pauline, what's up? Well, I was wondering if corporations are people, then why don't we get rid of corporate tax laws and they just be taxed the way people are taxed with income tax? Well, unfortunately, what we're learning is that some people are taxed differently than other people. You know, Jeff Bezos making literally billions and paying nothing in income taxes or paying an income tax rate of 1.3 or 1.4 percent when, you know, the rest of us are paying an average of around 15 percent. And, you know, and I can't go much higher than that. But I get your point. It's like if corporations aren't people, uh, what's their lifespan? <laughs> I mean, when do they die? Is a corporate merger a marriage? Just the whole premise, and I'm, I'm with you, Pauline, the whole premise is absurd and, frankly, obscene. Thank you very much for pointing it out. Helen in Belleville, Illinois. Hey, Helen, what's on your mind today? Two ideas on how to use the money we're already giving to other people to help the homeless. First one is our TIF that we give to corporations and businesses. The that what that we give be, to corporations? You know, the TIF money that they give to businesses to encourage them to put their business in your town. Oh, tax abatements and things like that, yeah. Right. Or, and right. in some and cases, we even give these big companies free land in addition to no taxes for the oh, first yeah. 30 years. Oh, yeah. And they even condemn some land in order yep. to make it possible. Yep. That's one way, you know, converting the money to the homeless. And the second one, even in the small town I'm in, I can't remember what the grant money was, but they grant money to towns to tear down buildings that they say are buildings they can't sell, basically. They're small homes that the family says, we don't want to pay taxes on it and that, and we can't sell it. So what happens, they come in and they tear the homes down. And then there's a hole in the city. So rather than taking that money that they're giving to destroy these buildings and put more junk in our landfills, 
why don't they take and put that money towards if it needs to be repaired or updated in some way, you know, electrically mm-hmm. or plumbing, yeah. take that money and put it in towards improving those buildings and putting the homeless in those small houses. That is actually what Finland is doing. Finland right now is doing two things. They're building some housing, but they're also buying housing on the open market. The number of empty homes and apartments in the United States is much, much larger than our total homeless population. A lot of these are investor-owned homes. So you just buy them from the investors, you know, or you, you buy them on the market. And you can build housing, and this is what we were doing back in the day. So, Helen, thank you for the call. Anne in Pasadena, quick one. There's a lot of responsibility for this homelessness. It was created in the 80s and 90s by the family courts and the lower courts in which they uh, disenfranchised mothers who had married and had children in marriage. And they just rendered them homeless. They gave the house to the man of the family, even if the woman owned half of it. And this is well acknowledged by studies called Women and Children Beware of Divorce, specifically in like Connecticut, where they Mm -hmm. pushed the homeless out, where they rendered people homeless. Hmm. And you could see the effects on the children. And so it became a generational poverty. And because Reagan had shredded the social safety, I mean, LBJ in the 60s with his Great Society programs literally cut poverty in half. In the United States, I have to by, ask you. By the end of the this mentioned in Reaganland the book? I don't know. I haven't read that book carefully. I've dipped into it here and there. I'd be surprised if it wasn't. I mean, you know, it's Reagan bragged about the fact that he was cutting Section 8 housing and other housing supports. He said it would make government more efficient. And like I said, I've been mean, that 1984 story from the Washington Post I was reading. The headline, you know, Reagan says homelessness is a choice. And uh, well, it that, isn't. And he grew up very close to poverty level, and he should have known better. He absolutely should have known better, and he was once a Democrat until he married Nancy Davis, and her father, who was a wealthy Republican, said, "Ronnie, you want to get rich like me? <laughs> you got to change your party." Yeah. And thank got you it. for the thank call. You. Good talking with you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. You are listening to the program where despair is not an option. Join us. Get out there. Get active. Nancy in Chihuahua, Washington. Hey, Nancy, what's up? Homeless people, 60% of foster children wind up homeless for at least one year as an adult. Oh, that's a terrible statistic. I came from, you know, unstable family, was in the system for 14 months, was returned to a mentally ill mother and was on and off the streets. This is in the 80s when you're talking about the Reagan era. Mm -hmm. I stayed in Times Square was my safe space. I felt safer there than at home. Hmm. And I loved it pre-Giuliani. You know, you could go to a movie theater for till four in the morning and watch triple feature, you know, ladder films or something and have somewhere inside to go. But they had rooming houses. You could scrape up, you know, 50 or $100 for one or two weeks in a rooming house easier than $600 or, or so for rent. At right. That Weren't those called SROs? And some of them were horrible and totally horrible, but they were a roof over your head. Right. And there's also Fountain House programs for mentally ill, which is where they started even me into work and all this other stuff. And they had housing programs. But a lot of places don't want that because people with all the alphabet soup after their names are intimidated because, you know, people that without alphabet soup are making more progress than they are mm. with uh, mentally ill people. And so then they had the urban renewal and the yuppies that were investing in rundown buildings and turning them into condos and stuff. So most of those, if I was homeless now, most of those places are gone. That's right. Reagan was the one who cut the funding that allowed those places to exist. He no, literally cut it in. Uh, Reagan, these weren't Section 8. These were private, you know, they were just motels. Yeah, just low income housing. There were mandates, though, that a certain percentage of housing be available for low, as low-income housing. Then there were, you know, there was also Section 8 subsidies, multiple programs. Your point is well taken, Nancy, and I appreciate there that. There was also Greyhound therapy, where, say, Buffalo, New York, has mentally ill person that keeps showing up in court. They mm-hmm. give them a one-way ticket to New York City, and they were doing this all over the country, sending their homeless, That's right. mentally ill and homeless, to New York or to San Francisco or wherever. Yeah, to some to your nearest big city where where they could you know, hang out with other homeless people. 
This is just a national disgrace. It's an absolute national disgrace. Yeah, I wrote a book about it. <laughs> really? Wow, is it available? Yeah. Yeah, it's called Adventures in Underland, U-N-D-E-R-L-A-N-D. Uh-huh. And it's under N. Marie McCormick. Oh, cool. I can find it on a uh, bookstore, online bookstore? Amazon has it, or you could get it through page publishing. Wow. Adventures in Underland. Nancy, thank you. That's fascinating. And I appreciate the call, and, and good luck. Thank you. Good luck with the book. Remarkable. Maurice in Berlin, Germany? Yes. Schönen guten Tag, Tom. <laughs> Schönen guten Tag, Maurice. Wie geht's? Uh, yeah, I, I uh, wanted to mention that before Ronald Reagan was president, he was also governor of California. That's correct. And as governor of California, he closed down all the metal facilities and turned all these people out onto the street. That's correct. And so now we've got a government that seems to be uh, the patients are running the institute. Yeah, he also uh, ended free college in California. So uh, talk about two things that are going to damage quality of life and future prospects. You're absolutely yes. right, Maurice. Can I add a little dramatic jingle? Certainly. Remember, remember, towards the 6th of January of Donald Trump's treason and plot, I know of no reason why Donald Trump's treason should ever be forgot. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Guy Fox. that's right. Guy Fox. yes. Oh, in uh, Dumfries, Virginia. Hey, oh, what's up? Well, first of all, I wanted to thank you for this program. You're welcome. I don't know how how you could even perceive how amazing it is to just go past the channel and hear someone speaking from the heart and it's not about a vote, okay, for a right or a left wing, okay? You talk about pure freedom of speech. I just wanted to thank you. You're welcome. So then, what's on your mind um, today? Well, I wanted to talk about the homeless situation, okay? Mm -hmm. First, I wanted to quote a scripture, and then I want to tell you about my homelessness. Can okay. I do that? We have a minute and 21 seconds, so it's all okay. yours. What I learned is if there's a poor man among you, one of your brothers in any of your towns, your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need and whatever he lacks. When I think about that, okay, from my perspective, I have been homeless, in and out of homelessness for 13 years, okay? I used to own a quarter-million-dollar home, used to earn six figures, okay? But prayed and prayed and prayed because I just wanted to be used by God. You know, my kids grew up with homeless people living in our house, okay? And that was the best experience for me until I became homeless myself. That gave me more compassion, okay? And my homelessness was driven by someone else, not my um, understanding. Mm -hmm. And I have applied for job after job after job, okay? Got four degrees, still can't get a job. And I hear people often say they're lazy, they don't want to work. That is the absolute not true, yep. okay? I apply for at least seven jobs a night and still get turned down, okay? So that's not the solution. The solution is, okay, just what God says, we have to be generous, okay? If I had a home, people would be living with me. Believe me, I live in a hotel. It costs more to live in a hotel, $2,500 a month, just for the room, okay, versus the rent here. Yeah, yeah, which is, uh, we're just doing everything backwards. You know, it, it's almost like, you know, Reagan and, and the Republicans in the 80s said, let's figure out how to really screw up America. And they put it into exactly. place. And people are sitting around going, how do we get all screwed up like this? Oh, thank you. It's very nice to hear from you. Very nice to meet you. And, I, and thank you for your, sharing your story with us. It's a good one. I really appreciate the call. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
Tom Arvin here with you and uh, David in North Miami, Florida. Hey, David, what's on your mind? I'm calling as one of the uh, 50-something-year-olds who are or are at risk of homelessness because we're losing out to our children, real or imaginary, or to automation. And it's so bad, I'm trying to create an advocacy group that everyone gets $30,000 to make up for the lost year of 2020. Mm. And like your previous caller, I have tons of education. I was among the best and brightest, but too many fields, both humanities and technical fields, but nobody cares because they're stuck in the 20th century. So you're unable to find a job, David? Is that what you're saying? Not not a steady job. I've been Mm. working as a sort of sleepover security guard for the last year, but that's going to run out. Better things are not coming. We are the richest nation on earth. And we do not lack for resources. And we should not be a country where if somebody cannot find work, they don't have any place to live. Or where if somebody is working, they can't afford to have a place to live. And as I said earlier, we know from years and years, decades and decades of studies, that somewhere between 2 and 3%, in some cases as much as 4% of the population, will just take advantage of, quote, welfare programs, you know, and live and goof off and are good with that. And that's the cost of them, you know, a three or four percent if you at the very worst, Republicans would call that the fraud rate. I'm fine with that. I mean, that's actually a fairly low level of look at the level of of losses that banks sustain on credit card theft. It's much greater than that. I mean, you know, it's actually a reasonable expense to make a society where you can't fall through the floor. We need to raise there that has floor. To be a way to the idle rich and the idle poor so that can help one another instead of being dysfunctional on opposite side of the bell curve. Yeah, yeah. The problem is many of the idle rich, they just don't give a damn. I mean, that's the other amazing thing is these studies that show that the wealthier you are, the less inclined you are to feel empathetic toward your fellow person. And this even goes to like, I mean, one of the studies that Rutger Bregman cites in his book, his new book, Humankind. And in fact, I remember when the study came out about four years ago, I talked about it on the air. Uh, His book just came out last year is how traffic cameras, what they find is that the more expensive the car, the more likely it is to break traffic laws, right? The wealthier people are, the more likely they are to feel entitled and the less likely they are to feel empathy. And it's just, it's just, it's, it's so, uh, it's so unfortunate. It's been proven, it's been proven that if someone is winning, even if it's obvious that the game is rigged they feel entitled well obviously i must have done something to earn it instead of oh this game is rigged maybe i should stop playing this game yeah yeah i'm with you rick in sacramento hey rick what's up when you uh were talking earlier about reagan building up the debt mm-hmm. you need to take the number that you're talking about and multiply it by about four because we've never made a principal payment and we borrowed money to pay the interest so what's your right, point? But if Reagan built up two trillion in debt, right. it's actually about eight trillion now because oh, in today's dollars. To, no, no, actual dollars out of the thirty trillion we owe, right. eight of that is is Reagan because yeah. we've never made a principal payment and we borrowed money to pay the interest. Interesting. I think you could argue that we've made a lot of principal payments, Rick, because we're constantly retiring treasury bills and treasury bonds. But I get your point. You know, in in reality, we haven't. I get. I totally get it. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. So QAnon, poverty, rich people not paying their taxes, homelessness. What do we do about these things? Lamar in Dearborn, Michigan. Hey, Lamar, what's on your mind today? Just wanted to say first and foremost, I know you were speaking earlier on the uh, notion that, you know, a lot of conservative politicians think that people who don't have a lot of money or go by social programs are somehow kind of lazy and don't want to contribute to America. And there's a weird piece to that. The same Republicans who tell you that if you give money to poor people, it makes them lazy are the same politicians who will tell you that if you give multi-billion dollar subsidies and tax breaks to rich people, it makes them more enthusiastic workers. Right. I'll tell you, look, Tom, I was born in 1982, so I had no real grasp or understanding of, of the Reagan era. It's ridiculous to me how that, e- that notion even is supposed to work. If we give the richest people all the breaks, they're somehow out of the goodness of their heart going to help people that are poor. 
Correct. I, I that's, don't. Quite, that's their that sales makes pitch no sense to me. And yeah, <laughs> I just, I to this day, I'm almost 40 years old, and I have no concept of how that would work. Just really wanted to call and touch on that. I commend all the work you do. You're a breath of fresh air. I got to tell you, I work for a Christian conservative radio station because you know radio jobs kind of hard to get. Sure. It is madness. I have to tune in and listen to you and read your report because it just helps me get myself back in center. But your palate Thank cleanser. you for touching on it. Uh, <laughs> I really, I really appreciate that you're one of the voices out there. That Lamar, a quick question for you, if you don't mind my asking, what might? This is a personal question. I don't mean it in a personal way. You said you work in a right-wing Christian station. What's the main meme that these guys are pushing right now? Or would you rather not say? I'm just a button pusher, but. Yeah. <laughs> They're attacking daily uh, critical race theory about how that's going to destroy America's future if that's implemented, obviously, which is just ridiculous. Right. And um, also on top of that, it's Biden is a puppet and this is a shadow presidency. You know, this, that whole for weird. Whom? I don't know. They don't specify. They just say that there's somebody in the government running it and Biden's just having his strings pulled. Oh, usually that's usually the whom then becomes or the who becomes Jewish billionaires like George Soros. Yeah, that name gets thrown around quite a bit. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just nuts. So one thing I wanted to say, and I won't take up much more of your time, I always kind of propose this to people that push that narrative that, well, these people choose to be homeless. They choose to be poor. And mm-hmm. why are blacks and Hispanics this and that? I go, okay, so you think that people of color in these communities just decades and decades ago collectively got together and said, we're just not ever going to amount to anything. They all agreed right. on this. Yeah. Or, hey, let's just go volunteer to be slaves, you know, 400 years ago. Exactly. Uh, Let's just live off crime and poverty forever. Like, what is that, you know? Exactly. Exactly. It's crazy. Good talking with you. you. I really appreciate the call. Cody in New York City. Hey, Cody, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. Hey, thanks so much for everything you do. So there is an elegant solution for how to solve income inequality in society and at the same time, how to fix our broken tax system. It also addresses the issue that you just mentioned a few minutes ago, which is the idle wealthy. They just don't give a damn about trying to do the right thing for society. It solves that problem, too. So the solution is this. The tax rate on the wealthy should be indexed to the level of inequality in society. So the idea is that when Income inequality is bad in society, like it is today, right? With the working right. class suffering, it's, they don't it's have the enough worst money. it's been since 1931. Yeah, exactly. So what should happen is, when income inequality gets bad, the tax rate on the wealthy should automatically be triggered into a really high rate, automatically. I love it. And love this it. solves the problem, because the problem is that the free market incentives are completely upside down. Mm-hmm. Right? The wealthy today have the incentive to exploit the middle class. Because when the wealthy exploits the middle class, the money then gets pushed up to the top and the wealthy gets richer. Right. So this is why corporate CEOs and shareholders are holding down wages and you know, canceling unions benefits. And, you know, I mean, look what exactly, Jeff Bezos did, exactly. just did down in Florida or exactly, Georgia, Alabama, wherever it was. Exactly. This is why they're doing it. And you know what? It makes perfect sense. They are incentivized to do it by our system because this is how they make money. So what we need is we need to reverse this incentive and impose the correct incentive. So instead of incentivizing them to exploit the middle class, they now will be incentivized to fix income inequality. I'm with because you. they know if they don't fix income inequality, if they keep doing this, if they keep holding down wages and banning labor unions, guess what's going to happen? They're going to suffer what they fear the most, <laughs> which is a triggering a high income tax on them. You're, you're absolutely right, Cody, and I love the idea. And we have a metric for that. It's called the Gini coefficient, G-I-N-I. It goes zero to one. I think it should go zero to 100 to make it easier to understand. But the Gini coefficient measures inequality in a society, and it can be used as a very simple metric because it's, you know, it's not, it's not something that's in dispute. You know, it's, it's just, this is just simple math. Cody Goodwin, thank you. Thank you. Let me put that into my uh, thinking hat. Anita in San Antonio. Hey, Anita, how are you today? What's up? Angelo, mm-hmm. uh, about the QAnon thing. Yeah, and throw us on. When you look at those people that belong to Q, most of them are fundamentalist Christians, right? Mm-hmm. They believe fantastical thinking. 
I mean, they believe that the Earth is 6,000 years old, right? And they believe they that look. any moment now, Jesus is going to come back to Earth and all the bad people are going to vanish and all the good people are going to exactly. rapture up to heaven. And yeah, no, I... I but, but they're taught that. Yeah. They're taught that all their lives, and they're taught never to question that. So right? you're suggesting that so that prepares them to believe crazy skills. crap like Q. Right. So why wouldn't they believe the stuff that they hear from Q yeah. when they believe Noah's Ark stories? Yeah, I'm with you. And, and they also are authoritarians because their God is authoritarian. You're right. You're absolutely so, right. So, yeah, I trace it back to taught a literal interpretation of the Bible, and then they don't question it. They don't learn critical thinking skills. And, of course... They're going to believe this crap. And they're told to disregard science. Absolutely. taught. I mean, all the answers are in the Bible. And right. the Bible is something they believe literally. Right. Yeah, we need I mean, to. It's, we not, need... it's not too hard to think that they believe that Democrats are Satan-worshipping pedophiles when they believe that all the Earth's animals were taken onto one boat yeah, for a or, flood. And that they're still worshipping a Bronze Age sky god. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm who's an authoritarian? You. Yeah, who's an ath angry and, and kills his enemies, you know, without a second thought, exactly. and, and causes women to abort their babies when he's upset with them, and et cetera, et cetera. Vengeful. Yeah, yeah. no, yes. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, reading the Bible it was a real shock to me. I, I've actually read it cover to cover four times. I used it to get to sleep every night. You, you can get these through the Bible Ooh. in a year Bibles, you know, where they break it up into 365 yeah. pieces, and I did that four years in a row. Just because I really wanted, I was really into it at the time. I mean, this is when I was in my 20s. You know, looking back it's on violent. it now, the stories, yeah, oh, the violence in, in, is just breathtaking, you know, particularly uh, Joshua, the book of Joshua. I mean, it still rattles well, around inside my head. Well, religion is a problem. I mean, it's always going to, it's a problem. Yes. You see it with fundamentalist Islamics, you know? I agree. I am a big fan of transcendence and spirituality. I am very, very wary right. of religion. Bill in Seattle. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? Lots of talk today about the great hero of the working man, Ronald Reagan, and it just reminds me of something that's always stuck in my craw. I was a self-employed contractor when Jimmy Carter was president. I got a, a Social Security tax break for being self-employed. The overall tax rate was 9.6. For self-employed, you got a tax break and you only paid 7.8. So oh. one of the first things Reagan did was abolish that. I think that lasted a year. And then, of course, there was the biggest tax hike in the history of the country. Reagan's tax hike of Social Security from 9.6 to 15.3. Right, in 1983. You know, we used to get Social Security tax-free, and he started taxing Social Security as income. Absolutely. It, it just if you look at every measure of well-being, everything started going downhill in 1981 when Reagan took over. I was a contractor, uh, you know, when Carter was president, and then the economy got so bad I went in the union. Immediately, uh, Reagan kneecapped the unions, air traffic controllers, and then there was two gates. They started letting non-union contractors onto federal jobs. It was just been horrible. And here's a funny, here's another thing that's just incredible. I listened to your public radio and you know reading a book about the black panthers taking up arms mm -hmm. in california and what's incredible to me is they eventually went to the state capitol with firearms and just just stood outside the state capitol reagan's answer to that was to institute the first modern gun yeah, i think it was called the mumford act wasn't it something like that yeah, yeah mumford like act that, yeah. And, and yeah ronald reagan was on the steps of the capitol talking to a group of school students and Huey and his buddies with guns walked up the steps of the Capitol to go into the building, and Reagan just lost it, right? I mean, and that was the end of open carry in California. I mean, within months, it was like that was the end. So, yeah, spot on, Bill. Uh, spot on. Thanks so much, Tom. So, yeah, you're welcome, Bill. Thanks for the call. My wife keeps saying that she's going to put started with Reagan on my tombstone. Greg in Detroit. Hey, Greg, what's up? It seems like to me, it seems like the power brokers in the country seem like they just want to impede progress, like in the case of here, Joe Manchin blocking everything. It seems like their goal instead of is to win is to tie or just to keep us from progressing. Well, there's a strategy to do this, lose. Greg, that has to do with winning, and it is if they can cause the economy to fail, if they can cause the market to crash, if they can cause people to, to say, my life is worse than it was before, then they can get Democrats out of office 
It's real simple. This right. is a sabotage strategy that the Republicans are running. It's the same strategy they ran during the eight years of the Obama administration. It's the same strategy they ran during the eight years of the Clinton administration. In fact, I think you could safely argue it was the same strategy they ran during the four years of the Carter administration. That's why I think they just need to start dividing and conquering. Just take the, the instead of these massive bills, just take some simple bills, get some simple progress going. Say, Joe Manchin, you're against a national election day. You know, right. we're going to put that in. Boom. That can, you know, there's you, another strategy, you, Greg, that they might want to consider pursuing, you know? and that is reach out to Lisa Murkowski and bring her into the Democratic Party. Although, you know, it's a, it's probably a stretch. It sure looks to me like she's getting radicalized day by day, that she's getting you know sick and sick and tired of the games that the Republicans are playing, particularly around January 6th, but in other areas as well. I don't know if it's a possibility. I don't know if it's even a good idea, but Marty in Evergreen Parks, Illinois. Hey, Marty, you got the last uh, 45 seconds. What's up? Every time I hear people mention Antifa, I just think that it's a racist, like, dog whistle and to delegitimize the Black Lives Matter movement in its entirety. Well, Black Lives Matter is black people in the minds of, of these Republicans who talk about Antifa. And Antifa is the white people who sympathize with black people. That's, that's how it's portrayed on Fox News and right-wing media. That's how these guys think of it. So, anyway, Marty, I got to run, but thank you for the call. And thanks for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same bat time, same bat place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, and that includes you. So reach out to your local Democratic Party. You know, just calling your elected officials and yelling at them ain't enough. You can get involved. Reach out, tag your it. Be good to yourself and the people around you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.